0: Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. I love God and hates his brother. He is a liar, for he who does not love his brother, whom he, ca- who he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother.
1: Good evening, friends. Uh, to you in the building, great to have you. Join online. Welcome, if you're new, my name is Matt, one of the pastors here. I don't know where you are this evening. Special shout out to Mark and Tess. This was going to be their last CIG. They are starting jobs in Tasmania, and we're going to farewell them tonight, but said they had to get in the car and skedaddle. So God bless you guys. Maybe reach out to them today. Reach out to each other. You're all in different parts of this country, I think, tonight. Uh, we are considering together the how to live out the truth of Christmas. That's what we've been walking through in one, John. In this passage, we come to the height of that theme, I think, in the whole book. Uh, It might seem confusing at first, but the chapter hangs on two commands. One is a warning about spirits, and the other is the exhortation to love. But the basis of these two commands is Christmas. The way we discern spirits is the truth of Christmas, and the reason why and the power to love are found at Christmas as well. And so uh, in this kind of pinnacle passage, we are taught how to live out Christmas as we're about to celebrate it. And what I'm really hoping for this evening is just to give you some anchors for this week, some things to lay hold of in uncertainty that you might know God is with you. So let's uh, go through three things about Christmas in this text together. The first is this: Christmas is the means by which we deal with the spiritual uncertainty in our world. The truth of Christmas helps us deal with the spiritual uncertainty in this world that 's where John starts this passage: Dear friends, don't do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, this is a bit left field for this book. All the way through, John has been speaking of human false teachers, false prophets. Uh, It's at this point that he labels them as spirits as well. That it's not just some sort of human thing happening with these teachers, but it is a spiritual thing. Now, this is a bit foreign to us, us Westerners. We love natural causes. We don't love spiritual things, although there are two crystal shops on King Street that are about to open, so we do believe in spiritual things uh, at some level. And so John is warning us, he's exhorting us, he's commanding us to not trust every voice we hear, because it may be from a spiritual source other than God. And God's people are always to be discerning, testing what they hear to see whether it is from God. So the question is, well, how do you do that? How do you test? What is the test? As it turns out, the test is Christmas. Christmas is the test. Have a look. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledged that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. The Holy Spirit loves Christmas. He loves it. He loves talking about the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh and entered our world on the Father's behalf. That the flesh of Jesus, the body of Jesus, is the place where God fulfills all of his purposes and promises. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God does complete all of his work, and so the Holy Spirit will always make much of Jesus. And so if a spirit does not make much of Jesus and much of his flesh, then we are to say, well, it's not from God. In fact, it is the spirit of the Antichrist, which we have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. The Antichrist for John is not a world leader or a high spiritual king or something, it is anyone who denies who Jesus is, who does not allow Jesus to be the Son of God who fulfills God's purposes. There's a little antichrist in all of us, according to John, in fact. But it doesn't stop there, because you think, well, what, what Jesus? You know, what, Jesus in the flesh, but what Jesus uh, is the one that the Holy Spirit helps us confess And that's where the next thing he says is very important. John in verse 5 and following kind of divides up the world into two types of people. Uh, One is from God and the other isn't. And it's all defined by who we listen to. They, the, the false prophets, are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. He says, okay, the world is over here, and they're speaking from the viewpoint of the world, from the Spirit, from the Antichrist, and they listen to themselves, but not to us. And then those from God listen to us, meaning John and the apostles. And so the world is divided between those who listen to the Spirit of the age and those who listen to the Holy Spirit as he helps us listen to the Bible to the apostolic deposit, to the testimony that the apostles saw of who Jesus was. The Holy Spirit will help us listen to Scripture. He will help us hear what John is saying, what Mark is saying, Matthew is saying, what the Gospels are saying of Jesus. And spirits that help us attend to the Scriptures are from God. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. John keeps going in verse 14, actually, and tells us about this testimony he has. We have seen the apostles and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. The apostolic testimony is that at Christmas, God sent his Son to save the world. And that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. So you have three tests for spirits from this chapter, just to recap. The Holy Spirit will always make much of Jesus and His flesh, the God, man, Jesus, and what He has done for us. They will make much of Scripture, and He'll make much of the Father's sending of the Son to be the Savior of the world. This is a really important few verses, I think, in John, because we are to be actively testing and discerning every voice we hear. Every preacher like me, who claims that from the scriptures they are speaking from the Word of God and are explaining God's will. And there are many voices that speak counter. I have lots of sad stories that, that I could tell, but I'll tell you the worst one. Uh, someone I very, very much love, very dearly. I was very close to understanding that Jesus was sent into the world for her. Uh, we were talking a lot about that at the time when she was a bit younger, uh, and then someone handed her a book. I'm not going to name it because I really hate the book and so I don't want to glorify it. But the author claims through a series of books that he wrote letters to God uh, and that then God kind of picked up the pen and started writing back. The books in and of themselves are just full of New Age philosophy, theology kind of stuff, uh, nothing really new or different. But throughout the books, the apostolic testimony of who Jesus was is just dismissed. Jesus is just one person among many who is spiritually enlightened. And as a result of reading this book, this person I love has not considered Jesus since. What's happened, according to John? Well, the spirit was not from God, because it did not make much of Jesus. It did not help her attend to the scriptures. It was a spirit not from God, the spirit of the Antichrist, That's the reality of our world. Many voices that are not from God that are claiming to be from God. But it also can be much more subtle, I think, friends. And there can be many preachers, and there are many preachers in our world, who will make much of many things and slowly make less and less of Jesus. And even many people in this world who will make much of a type of Jesus, but not much of the Jesus of the Gospels. People who will turn uh, Jesus into uh, the son who was sent to be the therapist of the world or the son who was sent to be the political leader of factions of the world or the son who was sent to show us the better social path to live in the world. All of these have hallmarks of truth. Jesus is political. He helps us with ourselves. He has a social agenda attached to him. But he is the savior and son and fulfillment of God's purposes. And we, as we listen to voices unpacking the will of God, are to discern them. And the ones who make little of Jesus and what he has done in the flesh in atoning for our sin, in who he is in God's purposes, we are to not listen to. And the truth of Christmas is our spiritual anchor in the spiritual uncertainty of our times. But can I just take you back to one verse before I move on? That's really important that I skipped over. Because we're not to be afraid of other spirits. Do you want to see John says in verse 4, you dear friends, are from God and have overcome them? Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Isn't that beautiful? The Holy Spirit who's in you, how do we know he? That he's in you. Well, if you confess that Jesus is the Christ, he's in you. That's what John says in the same chapter. And that spirit is greater than any spirit in the world. And so we need not fear and instead discern what is true and dismiss what is false by the truth of Christmas. But moving on, the second thing we see in this text is that Christmas gives us an unshakable love to rest in. Christmas gives us an unshakable love to rest in. The exhortation to love in the back half of the chapter is filled with God's love as the primary and prior cause of our love. So in verse seven, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. See, the unique thing about love in this chapter that's not in the other parts of John, he's talked about love a lot, is that here he says the source of love is God himself. He is the fountain from which love comes. Love is not in us, love is in him. And so if you claim to know him, then you are to love and it's Christmas that reveals God's love. Did you see that? Verse 9. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. The sending of the Son into the world. The Christmas event. The incarnation of God's Son. This language of sent, the sending of the Son is thick in this chapter. The sending of the Son is evidence of God's love. When you look at the baby in the manger... You are looking at tangible evidence that God loves his world. But John goes further. It's not just that God loves his world, but that God is love, verse 8. And again, uh, down in verse 16, God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. See, what Christmas reveals is that God is love all the way down. That he doesn't just sometimes love you and sometimes hate you. That he is not uh, ambivalent sometimes and apathetic towards us at others. But that he is love all the way down. And that you have to calibrate every one of his attributes accordingly. One writer I read said, God is love implies all his activity is loving activity. If he creates, he creates in love. If he rules, he rules in love. If he judges, he judges in love. And all that he does is the expression of his nature, which is to love. Christmas gives us a glimpse into the center of God himself. And so gives us an unshakable place from which to live. As John says, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. Friend, it doesn't matter how sinful you think you are or how sinful you really are or how confused you feel or how uncertain the things around you are. The baby in the manger in whatever tacky way you see it in the next few days is tangible evidence that you can know and rely upon God's love for you in Jesus. And His love is not just a feeling, not a vibe that He has, not some good karma He's sending your way. He loves you because He has dealt with His wrath on your sin. He has made an atoning sacrifice in the flesh of His Son for your sake. He has dealt with the most brutal part of your circumstances in turning aside His wrath from upon you so that you can know and rely on His love. So in the next few days when you're feeling uncertain about yourself or about the world, use that as a moment to know and rely upon the love that God has for you that you can see in the manger at Christmas. God sent His Son into the world for your sake and the world's sake. But the third thing I want to say tonight is that if you let it, If you let it, that love will turn you upside down. If you let it, that love will turn you upside down. See, that's the whole logic of this back half. You see, we're not just exhorted to morally perfect our own love. We're not just told to try harder, try to love more, be better. What's the whole language of the back half? Love as you've been loved. But notice how it's not even your love it talks about at all. What does it talk about? It talks about God's love being made complete in you. Or from Beck's translation, God's love being perfected in you. Let me show you verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete, perfected, fulfilled in us. In verse 17, this is how love is made complete, perfected, fulfilled among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect or complete or fulfilled love. Same word, just the noun. Love drives out fear. The one who fears is not made perfected, completed in love. It's got this beautiful language, not of our love being perfected, but God's love which dwells in us because we live in God and God lives in us, that love so taking hold of us that it kind of has its way in us, that it comes to completion through and in us, that the point is not just that you know how much God loves you, but that God's love so overturns you that you can't help but love another. God's love has not finished its work in you until it sends you outward, with the same force and relentless pursuit that the Father sent the Son into the world with. Verse 18 talks about this perfect love that drives out fear. And it talks about our fear of judgment. And it describes how this, there's this perfect love that drives away our fear. And it's a picture of us being so overtaken by God's love That we are certain of our fate because our sin is dealt with. Yet it's a perfect love because it's not just overcome our fear of judgment, but it's pushed us outward in love. We are summoned to be a different type of person in light of what has happened at Christmas. Indeed, at the end, basically in this whole back half, he's calling out the false teachers who claim to love and know God. He says, you can't love and know God if you don't love because God is love. And whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar, for whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they do not see. If you claim to love and know God and you aren't driven out in love, then you don't know this God and His love. It's very likely this Christmas that there is a temperature and atmosphere in our city that could drive you inward. But Christmas should always drive us outward. There's an atmosphere in our sea that could drive you to fear, but Christmas drives out our fear. The relentless love of God that sent his son into the world to die on our behalf, to spend his flesh for our sake, is a love that will overturn you if you let it. And so at Christmas, we are summoned to live out the same love we have experienced. What does God's love do? It initiates. It starts things. When there is no hope. When the other party isn't even interested. It initiated when we were stuck in our sin and judgment. And yet it bore cost in Jesus Christ. That's the love that you're summoned to this Christmas who can you initiate a loving act with? The relative you don't like, the neighbor who's forgotten by everyone else, the friend you've fallen out with, and how is it that you could bear a cost to bring them life? A cost of money, a cost of time, a cost of pride, a cost of something to love and serve them. If you know and rely on the love that God has for you, let it send you outward. You see, the beautiful thing about this whole chapter is that the two seemingly different halves actually fit together in Jesus. The passage just said, you know, the Holy Spirit, he makes much of Jesus, and we are to make much of Jesus as our Savior. Yet if you make much of Jesus and you aren't a person of love, it says there's something wrong. In the same way, it says, if, you're, if you think you're a person of love, but you do not think that love was in Jesus, then something's not happening as well. But together, beautifully, when we see that in Jesus Christ, the eternal love of God is, and we are driven to love, that is when God's love has overtaken us. And that's what Christmas summons us to. So friends, in the next few days, no and rely on the love that God has for you in Jesus, and let it overturn you. Let's pray. Father, we want to pray tonight for the silencing of voices that make too little of Jesus. And we want to pray that in our hearts, the Spirit would make much of Jesus. And we will be people who make much of Jesus. And Father, we pray that your spirit tonight would pour the love of Jesus into our hearts. That we might know and rely on the love that you have for us. And we ask that that love would overturn us. We pray even for an image in our head right now of that person we could initiate a costly act toward. In view of the love we have seen in Jesus. And we pray that you would move us by your spirit to enact it for his sake. Amen.